Nothing like doing sound check for the announcements, right? <laughs> well, tonight, as Jan says, it is a, is a fruit basket turnover, but that doesn't make us fruity. <laughs> if y'all want to get your drinks and come on in, that would be wonderful. I'm glad everybody found us back here. It's kind of cozy back here, isn't it? Yeah. Who likes it back here better than out there? Who likes it out there better than it, uh, in here? Okay. Yeah. I kind of like it in here too. It's right by the kitchen. You know, the closer you are to the kitchen, the better it is. Who's, who has in their house that you, people just hang out in the kitchen? How many of some of your best conversations with your kids have been in the kitchen? Yeah, there's something about... Okay, so we're a little closer to the kitchen. <laughs> That's great. You know what they say about those who are flexible? They don't get bent out of shape. <laughs> so we are flexible tonight. And usually when things happen, that flexibility turns out to be a blessing. So, I know. I know. Hello, ladies in the back. Woohoo! Yeah, come on and join us, girls. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like from inside out when the I, I'm sensing disrespect, sir. <laughs> Prepare the foot. <laughs> Did you? Did you like it? Uh, it's on DVD. It's a good one. Yeah. So God has brought us a long way in these last three months, hasn't he? Shall we pray? I think we should pray. You think we should talk? I should pull up a chair and we should just talk. Let's just skip the rest of this stuff. (laughs) We'll have a good chat tonight. Well, Lord, we open this up to you and we invite you here. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come, to lead, direct, and guide. Thank you for Greg and John and these men, the sound team that do so much more for us. Thank you. Bless them for coordinating and getting the tables up here and getting everything set up, Father. We so appreciate how our men take care of us and how they are such a beautiful, shining example. Your glory that are servant-hearted leaders. So thank you for the men that take such good care of us, Lord. For our husbands, our fathers, our brothers that take care of us, Lord. They are the glory of God um, in in your stead. So Lord, we come to you and it is the last shine of the season, so to speak. And we know that um, that which you've taught us, we've been on a rapid learning curve this last semester, and I just thank you for these ladies who have been so patient with trying to find their tables and trying to find their groups and who's my facilitator and where is our table tonight. And they, they have pressed through because they love you. They have pressed through because they're desperate for you, Lord, and they're desperate to learn your truth, and they're desperate to have connection within the body. So, Lord, thank you for this band of sisters that we can link arms together, that we can pray for each other, we can learn together, we can worship together, as Anna Anna has so faithfully led us in worship. 
and Amanda has come alongside her, and Christy has come alongside her. Lord, thank you for these, and bless them for their investment. Thank you for the leaders, for the facilitators, for this church, for the road, and CHC here, Father. Lord, we are blessed, and we don't want, we want, don't want to be remiss in thanking you for the way that you take care of us. We open up this time, and we just ask that you would lead, direct, and guide us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, he's gone, he's gone. <laughs> Greg, do you know what Greg said? Hey, ladies. Oh, we moved tables. Oh, super. Okay. <laughs> do you know what Greg said? He said, I better get out of here. You're losing them. <laughs> I know. So this is how this is how we get women's attention, isn't it? Okay. Um, we have come a long way these last three months, haven't we? We've launched a women's ministry at the road. Isn't that right, Kathleen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start calling names. <laughs> Y'all are far more attentive out there. I don't know what it is in here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right, yeah. So anyhow, we've come a long way, and I want to thank y'all for being patient, Amanda. I want to thank y'all for being a patient with all the different moving arounds and everything. Y'all have been great, and you've stuck with it, and you've, you've forged ahead, and so... Um, next semester, starting in January, January 14th, we're going to start a new study, and it's called Made to Shine. It's about biblical womanhood. So, yes, the sign-up sheet is right over here. And so if you know that you're going to be joining us next semester, starting January 14th, then please go ahead and sign up so we have an idea of who's going to be joining us. Um, yeah, and on, um, I, I wanted to take a minute and just really, uh, to where are my leaders? Where, all the shine leaders and facilitators, would you please stand up? Della, you're one of my leaders. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Sharon. Sharon, go ahead and stand up. Amanda, yeah. These ladies have made Shine possible. Betty, facilitators and leaders. And Sharon is going to be doing drama for us. And you'll be seeing that at the Christmas tea and coming. And, and I, could you all help me applaud them and their efforts? Thank you all for making it possible. I could, there's no way I could have done this myself. It's this thing, this, this team of girls, team of God's daughters working together. And so thank you all so much. It's been exciting. It's been stretching. It's been terrifying. And it's been exciting. So thank you all so much. Um, on December 2nd will be the last meeting that we'll be having. It's not necessarily a shine meeting, but it's going to be the Christmas tea. And it's going to be at the beautiful Cordera. And it's not on a Thursday night. It's on a Wednesday night. Everybody say Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Yeah. December the 2nd. So not this coming Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, December 2nd. And that'll be our last women's meeting 
for the year. And then we'll start up again in, on January 14th with Made to Shine. Uh, yes. And yeah, so there's no charge. It's free of charge. But Trish, if you're coming to the Christmas tea, it would be great if you could bring a dozen of your favorite Christmas cookies or a dessert. Okay? <laughs> What's that? Next week is, sh- is the Telios' last meeting. Well, it's their Christmas party. Thanksgiving. It has to be Thursday's last meeting. I think it's tonight. Are they, no, oh, okay. Daniel said game? next week. Are they doing the football game? I was just talking to him tonight. It's a football game. Yeah. There's only a football game. No. Yep. It's next Thursday night, right? Is it Thursday morning? There is another Telios, and it is on Thursday. What time? I'm not sure. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's something about blowing up gingerbread and some sort of a football or something. Daniel's really excited about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a sign-up. If you haven't registered for the Christmas tea, please register over there so we know how many tables to set up. And uh, we, there's no need to have um, tables all set up if people won't be there. And we want to be sure we have enough. Yes, super. Okay. So if you haven't si- uh, registered, please sign up. And if there's still a couple of... If anybody wants to host a table, then um, you can sign up for that as well. So, wonderful. Um, yeah, I think that's all of the announcements. Um, yeah, as far as Made to Shine, Liz and I are excited about sharing what biblical femininity is. It's something that I know has really touched Liz at the core and me at the core. And some of y'all, we've gone through the aspects together. We're not technically going to be doing the aspects, but we're going to go, be going from Genesis to Revelation, studying about God's design for womanhood. And is there a time that we need that more than now? <laughs> we really need to learn what God's design is. So I hope y'all can join us in January. Um, yeah, so um, I guess we've already prayed, and Pam will be sharing her testimony nugget tonight. So, um, yeah, why don't you come on up, Pam? There you go. Thank you. I think mm-hmm. I can do it without this. Can you guys hear me? Okay. All right. Good. Well, thank you so much. And I would really like to just bow our heads one more time before I begin here. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and that as was prayed earlier that we can be sitting at your feet because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you that your word is settled in heaven and you are faithful to it. And Lord, this is for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was um, seeking the Lord, when Christine asked me last week um, to share my testimony, I was seeking him and said, okay, what would you like me to say? And I felt I heard three points um, from him. So I'll kind of be weaving the brokenness in my life and also what he has done with it through those points. Um, First of all, uh, I felt him say idols. And as I was growing up, um, I had a few idols. One was perfectionism. 
and just always trying to do the right thing and trying to get the grades and following the rules and um, just, you know, the lie of perfectionism because the only one's perfect is the Lord Jesus. And the other idol that I made out in my life was a young man named Bill. And it took me decades to hear from the Lord that I had made him an idol. And um, I fell in love with him when I was 17. And I was always going to be a virgin because I always wanted to do the right thing. And we were together for about a year and a half. And I, we gra- I graduated from high school. And we were going to get married at some point after college. And I, ra- I rationalized. I gave him my virginity and cried all the way through it. And I thought, oh, what have I done? But I kept thinking, okay, well, I'm going to marry him. And, but it didn't happen that way because I also uh, dealt with an uh, eating disorder, anorexia. And I quit college for a year and a half and pushed everyone out of my life, including Bill. So I had given my virginity to him, and then I wasn't with him anymore. And um, you fast forward 15 years, we got back together when I was 35. We um, both had gotten married. And I was going through a divorce, which I thought would never happen either. My parents were married for 64 years before my dad uh, passed away earlier this year. And so there was another thing that, um, okay, so, Lord, here I am going through a divorce. And then through that, then Bill and I got back together. And um, I was in Dayton, Ohio. He was in Florida. So it was a long-distance relationship, although our work brought us to each other's cities, interestingly enough. And we were going to be good and not um, get intimate physically again. But then the dam broke. And um, several months into it, I got pregnant for the first time in my life at 35. And um, Bill was like, I can't start a relationship off with a child. And I'm like, Billy, I can't have an abortion. I cannot do an abortion. I cannot do that. That is not something I can do. And um, But I had made him an idol. And... In in that time, uh, through that time frame, I had become, I was born again. So I knew, obviously, I was 35 years old. I knew that having abortion was wrong um, in every way. And yet, um, after agonizing about it for about a month, I did the unthinkable. And on October 6, 1995, I had an abortion. And wanted to jump out of my skin. The anguish, there's no word for it, especially when you knew it was wrong to do in the first place. And three weeks later, Bill broke up and went on his way. And um, through that time then, I met Pierre and was blessed with having two children. During my second pregnancy, someone, a friend of mine, told me about the Community Pregnancy Center. And this is the second point. The first point was making idols. second point is 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of every wrong. Even that, I felt like, oh, I don't deserve to be forgiven for that. Just want to jump out of my skin. And yet he told me about this community pregnancy center. And um, I said, gosh, if I could just only help one person not do this. And the director said, yes, we want you to volunteer, but first you get to go through Forgiven and Set Free, which is a Bible study for post-abortive women. I'm like, and I just drank it in. I was 39 years old 
when I finally realized what the Lord's grace was. I was born again at 21. It took me 18 years to be broken in a puddle, the perfectionism stripped off, and just saying, Lord, and his grace washed over me, and I didn't, I didn't deserve it. And he showed me that um, my, little, my little one is a little girl, and I've named her Alyssa Renee. He's shown me what she would have looked like at three and what she would have looked like as a teenager. And um, I have to tell you, a week and a half before my dad died, I was reading the Bible to him, and I said, I said, Dad, Jesus loves you. And he was kind of in a state at the time, kind of in and out. And he goes, Jesus. I said, yes. I said, do you see him? And he said, yes. And he, you, my dad, he would never say anything to make someone feel better. He was always, he was always, that was what, what he said was what it was. And I'm like, oh, my word. I said, Did you, do you see Gramsci, his mom? Sorry. And he goes, yes. I said, do you see Alyssa Renee? He said, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm on holy ground here. The Lord, he can, he can see Jesus right now. I'm standing here. And, and it was just like full circle. And the Lord, the grace that he, that he washes over us when we put our brokenness in the light, in his light, the demons must flee. They must flee. And so many people I know who have had abortions um, just want to hold it in. It's, it's just heinous. You can't believe you've done it. And, and 18% of women who have had abortions are born again. That's the statistics. So when we're sitting in church, the statistic is there, people are there with, with that in their, in, their, um, in their background. But what he has done with it now is a third point. It's... Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, and I just want to read it here. It's, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of all, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I know in a prayer time, um, this was back in 2010, um, it was just deep prayer time, and he came to me, and my just I could see him, and he had Alyssa Renee and one holding with one arm, and my friend Leslie, who died of a freak sleigh riding accident back in 1967, in the other, and he said, the spirit of death has left you. And just this healing came over, and then um, at the Community Pregnancy Center with the um, divine appointments, that he just happened to allow me to be on. And do I have a moment to tell a few, just a couple, a story or two? And then I, okay. I okay. I, I, and I know if some of you have, have keep going. Okay. I'm winding it up. Um, one, um, there was one call uh, or one time, I, I'll just, I won't tell about the call, but I was walking out the door with someone, um, a mother of a, a son who took Taekwondo or a martial art with um, our boys and it was on the 13th anniversary of my abortion and um, she was talking about Sarah Palin signs and she said I got these from a pro-life guy I said well I'm pro-life and then right after that I'm like why am I saying this and out of my mouth came but I've had an abortion 13 years ago and she said she just looked at me and I said and she goes I did the same thing 20 years ago I've never told a soul 
And there's something about October 6th, because that was the day. That was, the, And she called me um, a few hours later. She goes, that was my due date. I thought, Lord, only you could have orchestrated that. And I was able to share the Bible study with her. So it's by, for his glory what he does through the brokenness. And he weaves his beauty into the ashes of our failure. And what you said earlier, by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, the accusers defeated. Praise God. <laughs>
As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. That's from the New Living Translation. Okay, this is just really weird. I can't find three again. <laughs> it's like an Easter egg hunt for page three. <laughs> By the time Paul writes Second Timothy, he's decided that he's going to send you know, whether he was going to send Artemis or Tychicus, he wasn't sure. But by this time, he sends Tychicus to Ephesus and Artemis to Crete to replace Titus. And it's like, why does that really matter? But Paul, I mean, he's talking about going, doing good deeds. And he's, he's, his, he sees that Titus needs refreshing. And he calls him to come to Zenos. Um, no, to, um, to um, Nicopolis. And so... Paul has asked Titus to come to Nicopolis. And the, the thing that I thought was interesting, I looked up Nicopolis. Does anybody know what Nicopolis means? I didn't. It's broken up into two Greek words. The first part comes from the noun Nike, meaning victory. The noun Nike means victory, hence the sport brand Nike. And surprisingly, it only occurs once in the New Testament. Did you know Nike was named after? It's in the Bible. (laughs) I didn't know it. It's used marvelously in John's first letter, where John writes, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's 1 John 5, 4. The second part is Paulus. And the Greek noun, it means city, which is a large urban center, usually walled and usually with well-defined lands and even satellite villages. Now, not the satellites that we have up here, but, you know, villages that go off. So the Greek word polis survives in English today. And you will recognize politics, policy, and police. Isn't that interesting? So Paul wants Titus and Timothy to come and spend the winter with him in a victory city. Why does Paul want them to come and spend three to four months with him? I mean, I mean, the winter there, I don't know, I didn't, the, probably around three to four months in a time frame. He wants to spend time with them to be refreshed. He realizes they are working hard. He wants them to come and be refreshed. He wants to hear from them personally, to pray for them, to teach, with, teach them, to laugh with them, to um, hear what's going on, to, uh, to bring any correction, to impart, to build relationship. He wants to disciple them. That's what a disciple does. He wants to get together. He doesn't want to just bark out orders, but he wants to have time together. Just as we need times of refreshing as well. By spending time with those who would encourage us. So he wanted to encourage them. And can't you imagine 
all the different things they talked about and catching up, that it was an encouragement to Paul as well. Yeah. I believe Paul needed to hear from them as much as they needed to hear from Paul. Why do you have to help teach, train, rebuke, and refresh with? Who do you have to help teach, train, and refresh with? We all need to have, as Jan would call it, battle buddies. We need to have people that we can be encouraged with, that we can, be, that we can spend time together with. Do you have a friend or a couple of friends? I feel like we do that in our D groups here, that we're, we're here together and we can be transparent with one another. We can share things and be encouraged. Uh, we can, in a life-giving atmosphere. In verse 13, it says, Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. We know nothing about Zenos. I spent more time than I should have trying. I thought, I'm going to find something on Zenos. I found nothing on Zenos other than the fact that he's a lawyer. And I was just meditating on that and thinking, why does the Bible mention him? What was his purpose? And I, this is just my thought, is that it could be that he was saved under Apollos' ministry and had left his profession to help Apollos spread the good news of Christ. Now, I don't know that that's true, but he was with him. They were traveling together, and he was a lawyer. And I don't know, I don't know that, that Apollos needed a lawyer to travel with him, you know, that he had to have a lawyer with him, and what pastor travels with a lawyer? I, you know, I mean, that's supposition. But who was Apollos? Yes. That what? That lawyers. That's true. That is a really good point. Yeah. Does anybody here know anything about Zenus? No. It just says right here in the commentary, Zenus is not mentioned elsewhere. Okay. But the designation lawyer identifies him as a secular jurist or more likely a converted rabbi. Interesting. Yeah. So he was, he was, he could have been helping the gospel to be spread. We don't know. But um, yeah, God loves lawyers too. <laughs> yeah. So what about Apollos? Okay. He is an unsung hero, I think, in the New Testament. From gotquestions.org, I thought it was really neat. Apollos was an evangelist, apologist, church leader, and friend of the Apostle Paul. Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, described as eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in the spirit, and instructed in the way of the Lord. And all these have different scriptures to back up, and they'll be online if you want to look it up. In A.D. 54, he traveled to Ephesus, where he taught boldly in the synagogue. However, at the time, Apollos' understanding of the gospel was incomplete, since he was acquainted only with the baptism of John. I found that encouraging because we've talked about process, right? This is process. You don't have to go to seminary and have some degree after your name to be able to spread the gospel. It's this ongoing learning and this ongoing process of learning who we are and what God's design is and what God's truth is. And, and so Aquila and Priscilla, friends of Paul, spent time, some time with Apollos and filled in the gaps in his understanding of Jesus Christ. 
That's encouraging because, ladies, as you persist in the Lord, as you move forward in the Lord and use what you have, what God has given you now, he will see to it that people come alongside you to give you what you need next. I grew up on a farm. And if three cows show up instead of 15, you don't give them the whole load of hay. You just give enough for those. God gives us what we need for now And our trust is as we move on and use what he's given us, that he will bring people into our pathway to give us more. Um, Apollos, now armed with a complete message, immediately began a preaching ministry and was used of God as an effective apologist for the gospel. I love the word immediately. Quick, joyful obedience. Has anybody ever heard of Joy Dawson? She was a lady who came to, I went to Christ with her, and she came to, and she's from New Zealand, and she had this big hairdo up here, and she would stand up there in front, and she talked about, quick, joyful obedience. <laughs> and that just stuck in my mind. It's going to stick in your mind, too. Some of you are going to hear, quick, joyful obedience, with this big hair. And, but she was a woman who loved God. John Dawson is her son, and I just had such a respect for Joy Dawson. And that quick, joyful obedience, that's what this immediate, quick, joyful obedience began a preaching ministry and was used of God as an effective apologist for the gospel. Apollos traveled through Achaia and eventually found his way to Corinth, where he watered where Paul had sown. I mean, look at the progression of this, his life, his obedience. This is important to remember when studying the first epistle of Corinth, Apollos was his, um, Apollos, with his natural gifts, had attracted a following among the church in Corinth, but simple admiration was growing into to divisiveness. Okay? Against Paulus' wishes, there was a faction in Corinth that claimed him as their spiritual mentor, to the exclusion of Paul and Peter. Paul deals with this partner, with this, uh, partisanship. It sounds like a political word. Partisanship. In 1 Corinthians 1, Christ is not divided and neither should we be. And so he was a man of wisdom. He wasn't in it for his own glory or he wouldn't have been reprimanding them, right? One of the things it says is we cannot love personality over truth. Isn't that good? That's a tweeter. We can't love personality over truth. We need to tweet that in the body more. The last mention of Apollos in the Bible comes in Paul's letter to Titus. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos in their way and see on their way and see that they have everything they need. Obviously, Apollos was on his way through Crete where Titus was at this time. And just as obviously, Paul still considered Apollos to be a value, valuable co-laborer friend. So there's, I mean, there's a lot. I, I've read Apollos, if you would ask it. I, but isn't it, there's a certain richness of learning about our brothers back then and what they, how they obey the Lord. It stirs us to want to obey the Lord today. In summary, Apollos was a man of letters with a zeal for the Lord and a talent for preaching. He labored in the Lord's work, aiding the ministry of the apostles and faithfully building up the church. His life should encourage each of us 
to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and to use our God-given gifts to promote truth. Are we using our gifts to promote truth? How can we use our gifts to promote truth? Titus 3.8 says, To teach the gospel so all, so all who hear will do good works. He really drives the point home throughout Titus, doesn't he, about good works. Paul is telling them to do good to Zenos and Apollos, telling them in whatever they may need, a place to stay, food, supplies to get from here to there, um, to help them with their ministry. We need to help one another with our ministries at home, um, in the workplace, in our communities, here at church. How can we work together to help supply each other's needs? If we're not in relationship, we can't. We don't know what somebody else needs. We need this connection to be together so that we know what our needs are. Paul's concern turns into action by writing a letter. Okay, what are the good deeds? I mean, Paul is modeling this. He's looking out for what these people need. He, he goes to action. How can we go to action for somebody else and see their need? Um, Jan knows of a family who's in need, and she sent out a text, which I never gave you the money for. Sorry. Um, I, yeah, but uh, there's a family in need. Um, would you want to help contribute? You know, when we see a need... How do we help to contribute to that? Um, imploring them to, to learn to take care of the urgent needs of others. Paul is not only talking to Titus and the Christians in Crete. Who else do you think he's talking to? All Christians. That's right, Rachel. He's talking to you and me. He was speaking it to us as well. What does Paul mean when he says we are to be devoted to doing good? What are the things? What are some things we can do to being devoted to being good? Just say, say something that pops in your mind. Praying for others. Looking for needs. Yes. Talk or rant. Yeah. <laughs> Listening. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of practical ways wherever we are. Because, I mean, it's important because Paul says it over and over and over again. So when somebody repeats something, it must be important to them. Um, Do you really believe, this is a question we need to ask ourselves sometimes, do you really believe God created you that your life belongs to him? It's one thing to know it up here. It's another thing to know it in here. That he created us and he loves us and he has a purpose for us. Each one of you, he has a purpose for you. If you do, then you will live as though one day you will give an account to him. It's sobering to really think about each day, Whatever we do, there's an accounting um, to be under his authority. Not in a fearful way, but in a sobering way. Um, In the final analysis, Paul knows we are accountable to God alone. Not pastors or fathers or mothers or husbands or wife. He knew in the final analysis, we are accountable to God. When I sin against my husband my sin 
is first to God. My righteousness is, is to God. I think sometimes we forget when we sin against somebody that first we sin against God. That puts it in a whole new light for me. Our righteousness is under the Lord. It's not to try to please man. It's under the Lord. So when we live as though, Christ, uh, though Christian doctrine is really good and really true, then we will fulfill Titus 1, Titus 2, 1 to 10, where it talked about teaching that which makes for sound doctrine. Um, and there's, there's six things that I really want to point out from that and just review These are the qualities that make for strong homes, strong churches, and strong communities. One, teach what makes for sound doctrine. Two, older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. This is what we want our husbands and our brothers and our boyfriends and the men in our community to be. And if men will be this, if the older men will be this and be an example to the younger men, our communities. Our homes, our churches are going to look different. Older women, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things and admonish the young woman, the young women. Four, young women, love your husbands and children. Be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to your own husbands. You know, it's, I just had a thought. When you're a good wife, you might be a chaste homemaker. Your husband just might chase you all around the house. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, that just popped in. I had to share it with you. (laughs) That was not premeditated. (laughs) Obedient to your own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed, which is maligned or looked down on. Five, to the young men, be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound teaching that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. Isn't that what we want for our sons? That's what we, that's what we want to reproduce. That's what we want to encourage the young men to be, to pray for them to be. And then the bond servants. And I thought, I can identify with a bond servant. I love to serve. I know a lot of you just love to serve. Um, I looked up the, the, the uh, definition of bond servant. A person bound in service without wages. In American culture, we're bound to our masters or the, our employers because we've committed to work for them for a certain wage. But a bond servant is one who is committed, who has given themselves without pay. That means you really believe in something. Be obedient to your own masters. Be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I was talking to a young lady recently, and she had been having trouble in her workplace. And one day on the way into work, God put on her heart to stop and get bagels. And 
she thought, bagels? Well, I know what kind they like. She stopped and got bagels. And it did something in somebody's heart at that workplace that had been, there had been friction. There had been, it had been really challenging. That it did something in the workplace. It did something in that person's heart. And it has opened up a whole door of blessing. We just never know. Bagels? Yes. Really? I'll have to let her know. I'll have to let her know. Did you hear that? A dozen bagels for, for six bucks? On Mondays. Well, there you go. Yeah, at Einstein's, yeah. So here's a thought. If your doctrine doesn't lead to godly living, then what does it lead to? What is our doctrine? What, what we believe, what is it leading to? If it's not a biblical doctrine, it will lead to selfishness. It will lead to sin, passivity. It'll lead to um, entitlement. It'll lead to, well, I think the worst of all it'll lead to is religion. Because religion is it's man's effort to save himself. And when we're trying to save ourselves, we end up getting harsh and cross. Without repenting of his sins and trusting the Lord daily for the work of grace in his life. This is what we need to do is daily repent and allow the Lord to work in our lives. Grace that teaches them how to be conformed into the image of Christ in an intimate relationship with God. This is what we need, not just once when we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I receive you as my Savior. I'm a living sacrifice. My life keeps crawling off the altar daily. I have to keep taking it back to the Lord, repenting of my sins and getting my heart right. This is, this is the world we live in. There's challenges. There's triggers. There's wounds. There's... There's lies that I believe. There's lies we've believed. And we have to keep going back to our Father. He wants that. Like Paul was calling Titus, come be with me. God wants us moment by moment to be in connection with him. What is your doctrine leading to? If it's not godly living, then ask the Holy Spirit to expose any false doctrines, which are lies, And replace them with his life giving truth that does lead to transformed life, a transformed life where you are free to live in a Christ like manner. When someone does good to you, how does it make you feel? Blessed? Loved? Yeah. I mean, we know what it feels like to have good works done for us to bless us see if any of these words describe how you might feel when someone is gracious towards you or does good to you somehow favored loved helped pardoned thanked established regarded do you feel goodwill towards them 
When somebody does something for me or my kids, you know, when they bless them, you feel goodwill for them. Gratitude, pleased, agreeable. Do you know all of these describe grace? That's basically what I just read is the definition for grace. God's unmerited favor, his love, help, pardon, divine grace, mercy, favor, thanks, elegance, virtue, esteem, regard, pleasing quality, goodwill, gratitude, pleasing, agreeable. And I thought it was really interesting. As I dug, I found the root word for grace. Well, the root word, grace, that grace, let me say it this way, grace is the root word for, for gratitude and thanksgiving. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Part of the definition of grace is to thank, to give thanks to, to praise, to show mercy. Favor, virtue, to show favor to someone. The key to a thankful, grateful heart is trusting God, trusting that He is, trusting that He is good. And trusting that he loves you. We have to get that. We need to be reminded of that. Embracing how God thinks of and helps us will give us a thankful, grateful heart. And it shows us how we can do good works towards others. That will help them feel valued and loved and cared for. Which will help their hearts be open. Do you see the progression of God's grace towards us? This is what God is conveying through Paul to Titus and the believers in Crete. This grace. Um, God is doing good to us. God is doing, God is, you know, God, you take one O out, you add one O and you have good. This is, God's wanting us to model after him. He's giving us the pattern of doing good. He's his grace. I, thought it's, I think it's interesting. There's like 13 letters that Paul has written. They all end with grace to you in some way or another. Grace is our teacher. Have you ever thought of it this way? We sow what we receive. If you... If you receive grace, then you're going to sow grace. If you receive condemnation, then you're going to sow condemnation. We've heard you reap what you sow, but have you ever heard you sow what you receive? If we receive condemnation... We give content. So the, there's a grace cycle that's beautiful. It's, um, in an article by Rosemary DeMello, who is a life transformational coach, she asks the question, can the heartfelt practice of gratitude be used as an effective and powerful coaching tool? Grace is teaching us, remember. Can our feelings, behaviors, and general states of well-being be altered by 
feeling grateful. There's a, there's a study on that. Um, one of the last paragraphs says that to fully understand why gratitude has such positive effects on human states of well-being, it is helpful to understand how the feeling of gratitude and the thinking of grateful intentions, thoughts and words, impact our physiology. Brain chemistry and patterns. In the book, Train Your Brain to Get Happy, authors Abelli and Winnick and Reynolds Note that every thought we have produces chemicals in the brain. When we have negative thoughts, these chemicals slow the brain, reduce our brain's productivity, and can lead to depression. On the other hand, the brain chemicals produced by positive thoughts create a sense of well-being which helps our brain function at peak capacity. Who created our brain? Don't you think he knows what we need? Why does he tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to give thanks in all circumstances? He knows that we need to be a thankful, grateful people. And at the root of that is grace. Yes? Um, I will put it on the, it'll be on the website. My notes will be on the website, and you can read the whole study. You'll love reading the whole study. There's a lot more to it that you'll really enjoy. Um, Or I'll have my notes up here if you want to access it afterwards. May we be thankful that God's grace is imparted by the Holy Spirit, teaching us the nature and attributes of God himself. We are created in his image and likeness. So invite the grace Grace in the Holy Spirit. If you think of grace in the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit in to teach and heal and lead and guide you. That's God's grace. His Holy Spirit is the administrator of His grace. Let's see. I'm going to skip over some things. Yeah, skipping page three, yeah. Um, you know, looking, looking for what we can do to help support others, looking for urgent needs. Somebody over here said looking for what we can do. Paul says looking for those urgent needs that we can fulfill. Um, Wednesday morning I prayed and asked God to help, you know, Lord, just make me, help me be aware of the urgent needs around me. I was on the phone at, in the parking lot at Costco did you know that there's a, a small grade on the, at the parking lot at Costco, the one off of Nevada? I'd never noticed that before. But as I sat there on the phone, I was talking to my daughter and winding up a conversation before I went into Costco. And this guy, one car over from me in front and one car over, he cut his car wouldn't start. So um, I said, oh, I, there's the guy here. He needs, I think he needs a jump. Um, I'm going to have to go now. And so I got out and I said, do you need a jump? Well, I had it worked on and it's, um, uh, there's fuel in the line. It's not the battery. If I wait about 20 minutes, it may start. I, I've had that before. It's so frustrating. You never know when your car is going to start. <laughs> and so um, I said, well, 
uh, can you push it? And he said, well, yeah, it's a stick. I said, well, if you think you can push it, I'll pop the clutch for you. <laughs> and he's like, he looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> I said, I grew up on a farm. I know how to drive a stick. <laughs> and he says, oh, okay. He got all excited. And he said, I think I can push it because there's a small grade that goes down there. So he pushed it out of the parking lot, out of that space, and I got it backed up. And, you know, we had this little grade we had about from here to the, to the coffee pots back there. And so he's pushing, and we get up just enough speed before we get to the cross street. I pop the clutch, it starts. And so I get out, we high five, I say, God bless you, and we both go on our way. It took three minutes maybe, you know, but are we aware? What can we do to be a part of somebody else's urgent need? It didn't cost me a penny. It only cost three minutes, but what can we be aware of? Um, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. And in verse 15 I think it's a beautiful example of how Paul closes. Everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. Obviously, Paul is not alone because he says we. Just as Paul is not alone in ministry, so he expects Titus to not be alone in ministry. And as he expects us not to be alone in ministry, to have this connection People who believe they can go it alone without other believers with just the Bible and God are not living out true doctrine. Usually because they've been hurt and they need to forgive, they need to repent so they can connect. They are leaving out the body of Christ from which they need nourishment and to which they need to give nourishment. It's part of who we are. We need the body. That's part of Christian living. Next week, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. Remember the grace, that grace is at the root of Thanksgiving. God's abundant grace, God's abundant wealth has been given, given to us. Um, may God's grace minister to you and teach you good works. Um, and then I thought, can you imagine being a pilgrim on the Mayflower? The stark conditions, yet they were thankful. And they stuck together. Uh, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to read five grains of corn. And I'm going to, I'm going to go a little over. But uh, I, I think y'all will be blessed by this. And it will, we'll put this on the website as well. Um, I first heard this from Phyllis Stanley, and this is her little book, um, Celebrate the Seasons, that she'd written about all the different seasons. And it's five grains of corn. We read this every Thanksgiving, and we put five grains of corn at each place setting. Thanksgiving, this is by Bliss Forbush. That's who wrote this. Thanksgiving is distinctly an American holiday. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the world. It celebrates neither a savage battle nor the fall of a great city. It does not mark the, the anniversary of a great conqueror or the birthday of a famous statesman. The American Thanksgiving Day is the expression of a deep feeling of gratitude by our people for the rich productivity of the land, a memorial of the dangers and hardships 
through which we have safely passed and a fitting recognition of all that God in his goodness has bestowed upon us. In the early New England, in, in early New England, it was the custom of Thanksgiving time to place five kernels of corn at every plate as a reminder of those stern days in the first winter where the food of the pilgrims was so deep depleted that only five kernels of corn were rationed to each individual at a time. The pilgrim fathers wanted their children to remember the sacrifice, sufferings, and hardships through which they had safely passed. A fitting hardship that made possible the settlement of a free people in a free land. They wanted to keep alive the memory of the 63-day trip when in the tiny Mayflower, they desired to keep alive the thought of that stern and rock-bound coast, its inhospitable welcome, and the first terrible winter which took such a toll of lives. They did not want their descendants to forget that on the day in which their nation, their ration was reduced to five kernels of corn, only seven healthy colonists remained to nurse the sick, and nearly half their members lay in the windswept graveyards on the hill. They did not want to forget that when the Mayflower sailed back to England in the spring, only the sailors were aboard. The use of five kernels of corn placed by each plate was a fitting reminder of a heroic past. Symbolically, it may still serve as a useful means of recalling those great gifts for which God, which we are grateful to God for. And my thoughts on that. We all... Um, also, back there on the table, you'll see there's Abraham Lincoln's proclamation. That will I will upload that to the website if anybody wants it. You can find it on it. It's just a, we read that every Thanksgiving as well. It's a reminder of where we come from. So, um, just want to close in prayer and and pray for y'all for this Thanksgiving for the closing of this and and then um, Anna and Christy will come up. And we'll have a time of worship before we go into our, our D groups. So, anyhow. Lord, thank you for your abundant grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. The many blessings and good work you have. You've given us. You've demonstrated towards us. Thank you for the good works that the pilgrims did in obeying you. Their sacrifice their lives, sacrificing their lives for our freedom. That they didn't turn back. Lord, I believe there's things in these women, women's hearts that you've called them to. And I pray that you would give them the grace and the courage to not turn back, but to move forward and to be the woman that you've called her to be by the power of your Holy Spirit. To apply Titus to their lives, to do the good works you've called them to do, to sacrifice, sacrificially lay down their lives before you, that you can flow through them and that you can be glorified through their lives. Would you please help each one of us to have the courage to stand for your truth and sacrifice our lives for those of our own households, families, our friends, even our foes, our neighbors, Lord. 
Please help us be sensitive to the good deeds you are calling us to in our homes and communities this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, and this coming new year. You give us opportunities every day. We need your grace to do what you have for us. As we cannot meet all the needs, we do desire to meet the ones you have for us to meet. Out of a grateful heart, we give thanks to you, Lord. May we be taught from your model of goodness and grace. 